0: When you look at the cross of Christ, what do you see? Do you see just another religious symbol? A good man falsely accused? Do you see a good teacher misunderstood? Just another religious leader who unexpectedly met his demise? Do you see just a good story? Or do you see the king of all kings? who willingly died to accomplish, to purchase freedom and victory over sin? What do you see when you look at the cross? I would propose that the answer to that question is vital because the answer to that question determines your outlook on life. And to some degree, in some respects, we should look at the cross with a measure of culpability. With some level of responsibility. We, we should look at the cross realizing that our sins were the reason Jesus went to the cross. There's a scene in the Passion of the Christ. Where rumor has it, the only cameo that the director Mel Gibson makes is this scene that shows an arm and a hand holding a a hammer coming down on the nails into Jesus' flesh on the cross. And the person holding that hammer was Mel Gibson. He said that he viewed himself accountable for Christ's death. It's incredibly poignant. Because due to our sin, our hands might as well have held the hammer that drove in the nails. But church, this is not guilt-ridden Friday. This is not gloom and doom Friday. This is what? Good Friday. So what makes this Friday so good? How can this Gruesome device of torture, the worst form of capital punishment known to mankind. How can this possibly be good? How can something so horrible be so wonderful at the same time? We just sang it. It's a great paradox, the wonderful cross. So what do you see when you look at the cross? Well, I believe the answer is in our text today, Matthew 27. Looking at verse 51, I want you to notice the aftershocks, if you will, of Jesus' death, literally and figuratively. Verse 51, it says, and look, behold, that means at that moment, immediately upon Jesus' death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why is this sentence about the splitting of the temple curtain even here? Because God is a holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. He is a just God. He is a righteous God. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He cannot simply pardon sin without a payment. That's not how justice works. Imagine, if you will, that a man slaughters 20 people and admits his own guilt. And all the evidence points to his guilt. He stands condemned. He is guilty. Now, would it be just for the judge to simply dismiss his charges To drop all charges, dismiss him without any kind of recompense whatsoever? No, of course not. That's not how our legal system works. That's not how justice works. Romans 6.23 says, for good reason, for the wages of sin is death. Actions have consequences. And to turn away from the holy living God is to choose death. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals to atone for, that means to pay for the guilt of sin, because as Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so they would go to the temple of God to do these sacrifices and to worship, and in the temple of God, there was this room called the most holy place. This is where the manifest presence of God resided among his people. And only one man could enter into the most holy place, into God's holy presence. Only one man, and that was the high priest. And he could only do so one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And the only way he would do that is they would sacrifice an animal to to pay that penalty of death, that, that blood. And only with the blood of a sacrificed animal, he would go and sprinkle the curtain that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And he would do that before he entered in. He entered in by the blood. And so this curtain separated God's holy presence from the rest of mankind. There was a holy separation between the priests and the people, between us and God. God is so holy. He's in a category of perfection in and of himself. But on the cross, Jesus became our propitiation. And propitiation is a big word with even even bigger implications. It's a word that is featured in the book of Romans and in the letter of 1 John. Propitiation essentially means this. Jesus on the cross became a lightning rod of all of God's just wrath against our sin. As a lightning rod, absorbs the electric charge from the air when a lightning strikes and grounds it to spare the building. Jesus on the cross is absorbing all of God's wrath that we deserve so that we don't have to experience his almighty, holy wrath against sin that is due unto us. And at that moment when Jesus died, The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Scholars say they believe that the curtain was around 60 feet tall. To give you a little bit of a reference, I just found out that our curtain here in the auditorium is 22 feet tall. So picture a curtain three times taller, and it ripped from top to bottom. This was not an action perpetrated by man. No, no, this was 100% initiated by God himself. And we're not talking a small tear that you can just patch up. It was rent in two, never to be put back together again. Religion as we know it, our relationship with God as we know it, would never be the same after Jesus' death. God gave us access into his holy presence through the blood of his son. And Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So the curtain was torn in two. It also says the earth shook and the rocks were torn in two. The rocks were split. And so Jesus' death was literally earth shaking. In Genesis 3 we see that all creation was affected by the sinful fall of mankind And ever since then, after generation after generation after generation, we have been tainted by the sin. Creation is tainted and broken by sin. And now, in this passage, creation itself is shaken by Jesus' death on the cross. In fact, verse 52 and 53 the tombs are opened from the earthquake, the dead are coming to life, and they're walking into into Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. This is mind blowing. This is a fascinating scene, and I wish I had more time to go into these verses, but honestly, they're really best kept for an Easter message. Suffice to say, Christ's death was powerful. It was powerful. So much so that in verse 54, the centurion and the Roman soldiers with him, they see the earthquake and they see how Jesus died, and they are filled with awe. Quite literally in the Greek it says, they became exceedingly filled with fear. Of course they would, wouldn't you? The Roman centurion who was responsible for overseeing Jesus' crucifixion and these Roman soldiers who are with them, by the way, who likely were the very ones who literally nailed Jesus to the cross, are now exclaiming, truly this was the Son of God! Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, not maybe, not perhaps, not gee, I wonder if, truly. It infers a certainty to their confession. There is no doubt who Jesus was. These Roman soldiers, they went from mocking Jesus just hours earlier, beating him to a bloody pulp until he was, according to Isaiah 53, no longer recognizable as a man, spitting on him, parading him around in a crown of thorns and a scarlet robe with a fake scepter, parading him around as a ridiculed king, then forcing him to carry his cross until he could carry it no longer and then nailing him to that cross. And if that wasn't enough, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, naked and shamed, In complete agony, they're casting lots for his clothes. These same Roman soldiers go from all that to now believing in him. In fact, the way the sentence is structured in the Greek, God is actually the first word in this sentence, which shows prominence to the title that they are giving Jesus. They're saying, truly, God's son was this man. The son of God. Gentile, unbelieving, pagan Roman soldiers are exclaiming that Jesus is God. After his death, no less. They're basically saying, we just crucified the son of the living God. Woe is us. What have we done? Folks, listen, when we look at the cross of Christ, there should be a fear and reverence within us. There should be a seriousness over our sin. Yes, maybe we didn't literally nail Jesus to the cross as these men did, but certainly we are responsible because he died to atone for our sins. It's a sober reality, the Son of God on the cross. There's fear and there's reverence, but I believe they also experienced awe and wonder over God's grace. Truly, this was the Son of God. Wait a minute. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, who could do anything he wanted. He could have called down thousands of legions of angels to attend to him and to annihilate his enemies at any moment he wanted, and yet he didn't. Why? Because he loves us. There's a a wonderment about that. God's Son willingly died for us. What lengths God took to rescue us and redeem us from our sins that he would shed the blood of his son. Listen, I love you guys, but I would never sacrifice my daughter for you. And those of you who are parents, you understand it would be next to impossible to do so. But God willingly did so. The cross is the perfect intersection of justice and love. Justice on one hand, Because Jesus, on the cross, paid the debt of sin that we could never, ever pay. He met the demands of justice that we could not meet on our own volition, on our own goodness, on our own righteousness. So there's justice at the cross. But there's also love. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, essentially enemies of God, Christ died for us. Justice meet love on the cross. God owed us nothing but his just wrath and yet in his infinite grace and mercy pours out his love through the blood of his son. There's power in the death of Jesus. There's power in the death of the Messiah King. It shook creation to the core and it shook the hearts of these men and so the curtain was torn open. The earth, the rocks were torn open, the tombs were torn open, and now hearts are torn open. And when you look at the scene of Jesus on the cross, what does your heart cry out? Is your heart torn open? How do you respond? Can you honestly say, truly, this was the Son of God on the cross? Then the Son of God died in my place. If you can say that, then today is a good Friday. Amen? Today is a very good Friday for you. It's a glorious day of celebration. Yes, listen, this day is somber because we remember with great reverence that Jesus died for us in our place, in our stead, because of our sins. And yet we cannot forget that by faith we stand behind the cross of Christ, shielded from God's wrath so that we can have free access to the Father. This is the whole point. This is the whole main idea. The atoning death of Jesus, the Son of God, is good. And it's good because it tore down the separation between us and God. God is a God of remembrance. In the Old Testament, they would set up altars and memorials to remember what God had done, the good he had done. God is a God of remembrance. And can I just be honest with you? For those of us who have been Christians for a long time, it's very tempting, very tempting to gloss over the death of Christ If you've been in church life for a while, you know that you hear the story of the cross over and over, and it's easy for this to just become another story. But if you ever get to a point in your spiritual walk where the cross of Christ becomes just mundane, where the crucifixion of Jesus, where the gospel just becomes old hat, it's old news, been there, heard that, folks, you need to repent. Repent. And pray for a renewed understanding of the gospel. Pray for a fresh perspective, a fresh appreciation of what Christ did on the cross for us. God, give us a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he has done and who we are in him. There's a reason we are reminded over and over of the gospel of Jesus. There's a reason we are to remember the crucifixion of Christ. There should be such awe and wonder that emanates from knowing the Son of God was crucified for you and for me. And this good news of Jesus propels us to live for Him. So I ask you again, when you look at the cross of Christ, what do you see? What do you see? Are you in awe today over the death of of the Son of God on the cross.